You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. So the past couple weeks, we've been exploring this topic of the Holy Spirit, or as some older translations of the Bible render, the Holy Ghost. And there's a lot of questions about it, a lot of mystery surrounding an understanding of the Holy Spirit. So we thought we'd step into that mystery and um, visit four passages of Scripture that tell us some information, uh, give us some idea of like what the Holy Spirit is like and what he does. And so in the first week of the series, we, um, we looked at John chapter 14 where Jesus begins a discussion with his disciples about the Holy Spirit. It's one of the first places in the Bible that we learn anything about the Holy Spirit. And from that passage of scripture, we learn these couple of things, that the Holy Spirit is God, that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is as much God, as much divine, as much as every bit as capable, all-knowing, eternal as the God, the Father, God, the uh, Spirit, uh, God, Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. That when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible describes that the Spirit of God comes and he inhabits in us. And begins to live his life with us. He's always with you. The Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does, there's other things that he does, but one of them is he helps you understand Jesus's instructions. As we encounter Jesus's instructions in the scriptures, it is the spirit of God that helps us understand what does that mean and how would that apply to my life? And... And all kinds of crazy things are happening. And the Holy Spirit will remind you about Jesus' instructions as you're encountering various situations and circumstances in life. And go, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how I would live out being a Christian in this moment. It's the Spirit of God who reminds you, this is what we do. This is how we behave. This is the attitude that we should have because of our understanding of what we've learned through the scriptures. And then last week we looked at Acts chapter 2 where the spirit of God was introduced to the early church in a dramatic way and there was all these miraculous and unusual and strange things happening there at the start of the church. And we certainly explored the fact that the spirit of God as God can do anything that he chooses. Sometimes miraculous and sometimes He just uses the structure of history and the design of the church in order to move and work in our lives. And so one of the things that we concluded is the single most convincing proof of all the different proofs that there are, the single most convincing proof that the Holy Spirit is at work in a life is how much they reflect Jesus in their character, in their conduct. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit more today. You guys up for it? All right, so if I, uh, if I put this word on the screen, you recognize the word and you immediately assign a meaning to it. That's the nature of language. Language is comprised of vocabulary and certain rules of grammar and how words work in relationship to one another. And so we look at a word, and a word is a combination of letters. Those letters have sounds. We put certain letters and combinations of sounds together, and then we pronounce them, and then we assign a meaning to that particular line of letters. And in this case, we're looking at the word fruit, and you know exactly what I mean when I say the word fruit. 
You think of apples and oranges and bananas, watermelon, grapes, tomatoes. Yes, tomatoes is a fruit. Some of you thought, oh, that's a mistake. No, that's a vegetable. No, it's a fruit. So we know what we mean when we use the word fruit because that's the nature of how we understand that word as people who use the language of English. Well, in the Bible, the word fruit is used a bit differently. In the Bible, we have to understand that it wasn't written in English originally. It was written in two other languages, Greek and Hebrew. And those are Eastern kinds of languages. English is a Western-oriented language, and so we tend to be very literal in how we use words and assign meanings. Whereas in the Bible, being a, um, an Eastern language, Greek and Hebrew, there's a bit more poetry in how they use language. So in the Bible, language is a bit more um, expressive. It's a bit more, uh, uses imagery. It, it, it um, uses these ideas that are not just literal, but also figurative. So in the Bible, the word fruit can also mean harvest or produce or product, anything that is the fruit of one's labor. So like a carpenter can produce fruit and his fruit is the fruit of his labor. The word can also refer to offspring, like the fruit of the womb is a child, womb, not loom. Fruit of the womb is a child, okay? So that's product, that's produce, that's harvest. That's how the word fruit is used in the Bible. So it would refer to grapes and apples and pears and peaches, but it would also refer to figs and olives and grain and any sort of harvested items. But then because of the nature of Greek and Hebrew, it, it doesn't just always refer to the literal. It takes the literal and it attaches additional meaning to it. And it often uses figurative expressions. And so the word fruit can also mean things like evidence or proof or conduct. Like the fruit of one's behavior indicates the nature of what's really our intentions. And so it can be the proof of what we really mean, although we may use different words, our behavior, our conduct may show something else to be true. It can also be uh, used to describe results or returns or consequences, the fruit of your choices. If you make poor choices, the fruit of those poor choices are consequences. Those are the returns on the decision that you made. It can also be used to describe the character of something the nature of something, the authenticity of something. And so understanding that kind of definition to the word fruit, Jesus makes a very interesting statement in the course of his ministry. He says this, by their fruits, you will know them. Now in this context, he's referring to human beings. He's referring to people. And he makes this observation, by, by the fruit of one's life, by the evidence of one's life, by the proof of one's behavior, by the proof of one's character and conduct, you'll know what they're really all about. You'll know what they're really like. They may say things this way, but it's by their behavior, their conduct, their character, that you'll really see them for who and what they are. 
So Jesus is using the image of our lives like a tree. And he's saying that if we're a tree, if our life was a tree, you'll know what kind of life we live by the fruit or the evidence that we produce. And he also uses the the illustration of our life as a tree to say that a tree will only produce what's consistent with its character, with its nature. Like an apple tree will only produce apples. An orange tree will only produce oranges. And so Jesus is saying there's a certain evidence of our character and our conduct that displays what's really going on in our hearts. Does that make sense? So look at this passage of scripture where Jesus makes these statements. He's talking to a crowd of people and he says, watch out for false prophets. Uh, Watch out for, and here's a way that we might translate it for our uses um, in our society. Watch out for people who act like they're very spiritual like they're very theologically grounded and rooted and seem to understand the Bible and and want to let you know about how much they know about their faith. Watch out for false prophets. They they come in sheep's clothing. They, They sort of look innocent, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Their intentions are not good. Their spiritual pride produces in them a certain intention to show off and to make big impressions when in fact maybe their character doesn't support it but inwardly they're ferocious wolves and then Jesus says this by their fruit you will recognize them by the evidence of how they conduct themselves the words they use the attitudes they possess the behaviors that characterize their life not just in a moment but over the test of time by their fruits you will recognize them and then he asks this question do people pick grapes for thorn bushes answer is no because of the nature of or the character of the plan you would pick grapes from a vine you would pick thorns from a thorn bush if you're into that sort of thing or figs from thistles no because of the nature the character of the plant likewise likewise every good tree it bears good fruit and every bad tree and he's using bad tree to describe like thorn bushes bad trees it bears bad fruit it's the evidence of what's the character or nature of that plant A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, we just cut it down. We throw it in the fire because it's not healthy, it's not productive, it's not helpful. Thus, he says again, by their fruit, you will recognize them. But he's not talking about trees. He's talking about people. He's talking about us. Not everyone, now listen to this, this is important. Not everyone who says to me, hey, Lord, Lord, remember me? Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. They may know all the words. They may know all the right things to say, but how will you recognize them? By their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, you know me, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my father who is in heaven. Only those whose lives are surrendered and submitted to the way of Jesus 
and live in obedience to God will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many, many, listen to that. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't you see all the great things that we did? Then I will tell them plainly. This is not what you want to hear plainly from the Lord. This is what I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. This word here, knew, it's a very intimate term. It's like a loving relationship. Jesus is saying, without a loving relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter how many of the songs you know. It doesn't matter how many of the uh, stand up and sit down in places that you've been and things that you know to say and do. If it's not accompanied by a corresponding fruit, there's no evidence that it's real or legitimate. It's so interesting this week. I had two separate conversations with different individuals And in both of those conversations, both of those gentlemen asked me this question. How do I know if I'm really saved? Now, there's many ways that we can approach an answer to that question. How do I know if I'm really saved? Well, based on what Jesus is teaching in this passage, here's one of the ways And it's this, the proof is in the fruit. How do I know if I've really come into a relationship with Jesus that's authentic and real to where the transaction of salvation occurred because of my trust in Jesus Christ as savior? How do I know that? Well, Jesus would say the proof is in the fruit. The proof will be in the nature of the way you go about living your life. I mean, this conversation follows the message of Jesus all through the gospel. Jesus, a tree is recognized by its fruit. Apple trees produce apples. Orange trees produces oranges. Okay, we got that? It says this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars, okay? This is a theme in the teaching of Jesus, but he's not talking about plants. So on one occasion, he says this, produce the fruit in keeping with repentance. He's talking about life. And what is he saying in this passage? He says, you say that you repented? You came to a place in your sinfulness and decided this is the wrong path and you turned because that's what repentance means. It means to turn and go in the opposite direction. You decided to begin to follow Jesus, go in a different direction than your own selfish pursuits. He says, well, then produce fruit, evidence, proof that indicates that that repentance was in fact real. Jesus taught this, remain in me. And also, I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must stay connected to the vine. Neither can you, listen, follower of Christ, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in a close, 
authentic relationship with Jesus. Why? Because I am the vine. Spiritually speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. You feed off of me. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, there isn't anything that you can do that matters, that lasts, that's significant when it comes to spiritual evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is to my father's glory. This is what brings God the most glory. This is like what makes God proud of us. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, that your life demonstrates and evidences the nature of repentance in a life of following Jesus, showing yourself to be my disciples. You you following me here? I'm sorry? Wow, I got nervous. I was gonna have to start all over and I'm already short on time, all right? Um, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to do what? That you might go and bear fruit. That was Jesus's intention of getting involved in your life is that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, the kind of thing that will last for an eternity. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my commandment, love each other. And this is my prayer, Paul writes to the church of Philippi. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, to choose between good, better, and choose what is best as it brings glory to God, and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the what? The fruit, the evidence, the proof of a life that's leaning in toward the things of God, righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. One other passage, book of Colossians. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, okay? So that you may live a life that's a good reflection on the Lord, please him in every way. How do we do that? Bearing fruit, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Do you see the theme of fruit? I'm asking you. I don't want you to think there was any sleight of hand going on here, okay? It's just, it's all through the message of Jesus. It's all through the writings of the, of the first century church. Folks, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. This is why it's important that each of us have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works because he's most involved in all that we've been talking about, the bearing of fruit in the life of a Christian. It's so important that we properly understand what we think when we say the word God. Most people, my observation now, pastor for 30 years, When most people use the word God, they typically refer to God, the heavenly father. Now listen to me, you listening? That's not wrong, it's just incomplete. 
Because the word God, while it is a name, it's really more a title. The word God is a title for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the nature of what we discuss when we are thinking about the topic of the Trinity. All throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, there's these evidences that God exists in a trinity, three divine beings sharing complete equality in all the characteristics of God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about salvation, we talk about coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's important to distinguish God's work in the nature of salvation as it is expressed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's one way we might say that. God the Father offers the gift of salvation. Here's the holy, eternal, sovereign God of the universe whose heart breaks for human beings in their sinfulness. And God says, oh, I have to do something about this. I have to make it possible for human beings to be reconciled to me because I can't have anything to do with them in their sinfulness. So I'm going to offer them salvation. But in order for God the Father to offer salvation, the Son had to come to earth, take on human flesh, live his life, and then eventually die on the cross as a substitute for my sins to pay for them. So the Son secures the work of the salvation that God the Father is offering. You following me so far? So then this is where the Holy Spirit plays such an integral role in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who performs the transformation of salvation. You know, one of the other words for salvation is conversion. It's about a changing life. I lived my life this way, these priorities, these values, these behaviors. But when I invited Christ into my life, I started down a different road, a different path, intent on making the changes that God wanted to bring about in my life. So God offers the salvation. It's Jesus who does the hard work of securing the possibility of the salvation being offered. But it's the Holy Spirit who comes and he takes up residence in us and he begins the hard work of converting us into a reflection of Jesus as God intended the whole time. Does that make sense? So this is important to me. I I want us, at least as a congregation, I can't be responsible for for anybody else, but I have a responsibility for you. I want us as a church family to have a language and an understanding of these things. And here's what I want us to understand is that when Christians talk about God being at work in their life to bring about spiritual growth and change, they're actually talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I want us to be a church that doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to be the forgotten God. I want us to be a church that understands, wait a second, God the Father offers the salvation. Jesus secured it by his work on the cross, but it's the Spirit of God as he works in my life that brings about the salvation that God intended to change or transform our life. All of that to bring you to another story about the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles with you, 
Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the early church, giving them some instructions about how to pursue their relationship with Jesus in a way that works. You ready? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, this is Paul saying to the church, so I say, here's what you need to do. You need to live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. See, we have to understand that we're in a battle. That sin nature that we're born with, it continues to try to exert power and control and lead us into places that are contrary to where God would lead us. And the spirit of God is dwelling in us in this, this fight for control of our choices. Look at this, for the sinful nature, it desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, it desires what's contrary to the sinful nature. Here it is. And folks, man, we have to appreciate this. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want. Anybody? Or is that just me? The story of my life. But if you are led by the Spirit, things are different. You're not under the law. But here's what we need to understand. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. What we'll be talking about here. We're talking about fruit. The sinful nature is going to bear a certain kind of fruit. And he lists off some sexual immorality impurity of any kind, debauchery, idolatry, a lot of that going on in our world these days, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, like a whole host of things that reflect the fruit of the flesh in our lives. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus? Lord, Lord, remember me? I, I never knew you. But here's the passage. If you have a pen or a pencil and you're not obsessive compulsive and you don't mind underlining things in your Bible, this would be a great passage to underline. But here it is. The fruit of the spirit. This is the evidence of the spirit. This is the proof of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit of God is allowed to be at work in our life. But the fruit of the spirit, here's what it produces. Love, joy, peace, patience. The word could also be rendered perseverance. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's, that's staying true to the promises that you make. That's loyalty, faithfulness, gentleness. And here's the big one, self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. 
Jesus talked a lot about fruit. The writers of the early letters of the New Testament, they talked a lot about fruit. The Spirit of God, guess what he does? He produces fruit. It's a list. Nine character traits that ought to be a growing evidence in the life of a Christ follower. I ought to be coming more loving, more understanding, compassionate, empathetic toward the needs of others. I ought to be seeing change happen in my life by being more loving. I, I ought to be more joyful. That's not happy all the time. It just means that there's a deep, quiet joy down inside of me that no matter what's happening on the surface of my life, I know I'm in good hands. I don't need to be grouchy. I don't need to be depressed. I don't need to be discouraged and afraid. I, I, I can be characterized by having an attitude of joy because the spirit of God is at work in my life. Peace. Find yourself really worked up these days, filled with a lot of tension, watching the news, what's happening in our nation and around our world, feel a lot of stress and worry. Proof of the Holy Spirit is an abiding sense of peace. Patience, parents, partners, kindness, like an attentiveness to the needs of others and a willingness to meet them, goodness, just looking for and providing what's good in a situation. Faithfulness has huge implications on marriage and promises that we make to one another, a gentleness. Is it just me or does it feel like our world's gotten really hard? One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is gentleness, that you know a Christian in a situation because they're calm, cool, collected, gentle in their response to what's going on, and this is huge, that the Spirit of God produces the ability to control ourself. That has all sorts of implications from how much we eat to how much we spend searching the internet for pornography to spending money that we don't have to being able to check our words before we say what we really think and feel. All sorts of expressions of the spirit of God's work in our life when it comes to self-control. So I'm gonna ask you, don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. How's the fruit? Can you look at this list and say, yeah, I'm seeing these things happening in my life. No, you're not perfect. It's not happening overnight, but you can look back over your years of following Jesus saying, I'm seeing progress. It's not perfection, it's progress. I'm seeing the spirit of God bringing about these things in my life. And the other question is, if you don't, maybe it's time for an authentic and sincere gut check of what your faith is really all about. Because the last thing that I'd want for any of you is to someday stand before the living holy God and go, Lord, Lord, don't you recognize me? Don't you know me? And for him to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. 
has serious implications on our understanding of what we know about the Holy Spirit of God. So I leave you with this. I'm going to skip some verses. The Christian life is ultimately about nurturing a garden in your soul where the fruit of the Holy Spirit's influence blossoms into a remarkable reflection of Jesus through you. Because if you ever want to see Jesus nowadays, I'll tell you exactly what he looks like. He looks like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Make sense? A lot to think about. Let me ask you to stand together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our prayer is that our lives might reflect the fruit of who we really are as your sons and your daughters. That our lives might reflect an evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And that we are continually giving ourselves, surrendering and submitting to his will and his way and listening to his leading in our life so that in fact, the fruit of our life looks like growing amounts of love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves before you as we consider these things. I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.